I have a sort of a joke to start with this morning. If you were here two weeks ago, I gave a little talk on uh, our church finances, and one of the things I shared was that a couple of years ago, Lori and I discovered that our savings account was growing, and we just couldn't figure out why. I just, I really literally thought God was just multiplying money somehow. And then I checked our online giving and found out that um, we had changed the credit card six months before, but I didn't change it on our giving app. And so I discovered why our savings have been growing. And so I encouraged anybody that gave online to check the app to make sure you're still giving. Well, guess what? Our savings account was really growing this spring again. <laughs> and when I said that up here, I thought, well, I really ought to follow through with that myself and check. And I was shocked that we hadn't given anything this year. And it, it's since January. And so, um, I, I mean, I think that's kind of funny, don't you? <laughs> and so we're going to make that up today. We have, we have the ability to do that, so um, we're going to make that up today. But, uh, you know, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And it, it's, we, we celebrate on that day the, the initial outpouring of the Spirit uh, in the new, bringing in the New Testament era and anointing the church and empowering the church to be everything that God wants it to be. And, and so uh, the Vineyard Movement has produced a message from our National Executive Director, Jay Pathak. Jay was here last spring, uh, or no, he was here last, last at our last Kingdom Pursuit Conference and spoke, so if you heard him then, you know he's a great, great teacher. And we're gonna, we're gonna show that message by video uh, it will be all about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit and invitation into a deeper experience with the Spirit. So what I want to do today is to talk about the Holy Spirit with the goal of stirring expectation. Amen. And I want to stir, stir anticipation so that we are thinking in terms of next week is going to be powerful. I want us to be thinking in those terms. Next week is going to be something really special and powerful. You know, this is unfortunate, but uh, most churches don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. We have a tendency to lean in the direction of telling people what they should do and what they shouldn't do, but we don't always tell, share with them and enable them to experience the one who gives them the power to actually do it, to actually walk in obedience. And so, it's, uh, it, it's something that is, is so vital to the Christian life. It really produces hopelessness among Christians because we, we keep hearing about, oh, I'm supposed to do this, supposed, not supposed to do that, and I'm trying really hard, but I'm failing. And so we need the Holy Spirit. We need the anointing, empowering, infilling of the Holy Spirit in order to be the people God wants us to be individually in our lives, just as we're living our lives, and as a church body corporately. And so this is what I want to talk about today. Uh, there was a man named D.L. Moody who was a well-known preacher in the mid-1800s. Well-known by that, I mean he was invited around the world to preach. He, in, in those days, it wasn't easy to travel even to Europe, but uh, he, he was traveling around the world preaching. But when he was in his home church in Chicago, he noticed that there, as he describes it, there were two little old ladies sitting in the front, 
And when he would start preaching, they would pray. Now, I don't know how he knew they were praying. Maybe they closed their eyes and folded their hands and bobbed their heads or something. But somehow he knew they were praying. And so one day after he had preached, he asked them, what are you praying? Why are you praying? Why aren't you listening to my message? And they said, well, we're praying for you, Mr. Moody. And it angered him because he has a worldwide ministry. Why do you need to pray for me? And he said, don't pray for me. Pray for all those lost people out there that need Jesus. And they looked at him and they said, oh, but Mr. Moody, you need the Holy Spirit. That was offensive to him. But then he tells that uh, sometime later he was in New York City and he was in his hotel room in the afternoon and God poured out the Holy Spirit on him. He had this experience with God's Spirit that was so profound he called, he said it was like having buckets of liquid love poured out on him. And as he recalled it in, in his writings, he said it was so intense, he didn't think he was going to survive physically. And so he called out to God. He said, God, no more. I can't, I can't take any more. But what happened after that? He said he went back to preaching, and he preached exactly the same messages, exactly the same way he had preached before, but instead of having a handful of people saved, there were hundreds saved. And everywhere he went, he saw this incredible upgrade, uptick, this incredible new power in his preaching that just drew people into faith in Jesus. And I share that with you because that is not the only story. There are dozens, hundreds of stories of people who, after having an initial experience or a renewal experience with the Holy Spirit, begin to walk in a new power in their own lives personally, new victory in their lives, but also new and greater power in their ministries. And what we need to know is that this experience that Moody had is not something that is reserved for the elite. It's not just the people that are famous enough to be invited around the world to preach that get this. That's not God's heart. God's heart is for every one of us to experience the presence of his spirit. For every one of us to have this, what uh, the book of Acts refers to in multiple ways, filling of the spirit, baptism of the spirit, spirit being poured out on us. We all need that. And just like Mr. Moody, we all need the Holy Spirit there's a verse in Luke 24, 49, where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit's coming, and he calls it the promise of the Father. And I like that phrase, the promise of the Father. So Luke 24, 49, this is after Jesus has died on the cross, after he's been raised from the dead. Uh, he's, he's spent 40 days teaching them and, 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 and uh, bringing, bringing to light all these truths about the kingdom of God. And then he says this. He says, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. So stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That is the promise of the Father. It is being clothed with power from on high. And you know what? The Father's promises are always good. You can always trust him. You can be a certain he is going to fulfill his promises. And Jesus himself um, relates this promise in another way. Uh, in, um, 
in John 7, 37 to 39, Jesus repeats the promise of the Father. Well, let me back up a second to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. This is the promise of the Father. It's from the Old Testament. This is God the Father speaking. And he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a soft heart. And then listen to this. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Now, when he says, I will put my spirit in you, that's a new thing. Because in this Old Testament era, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for the purpose of empowering them so that they could be and do what God wanted them to be and do. It normally was a temporary thing in most cases. Uh, one case, there was a, a man named Bezalel who was an artist. He was like a, a fine craftsman. And when they were building the tabernacle, it says that the Holy Spirit came on him to enable him to exercise what was already very high skill set that he had, but to do it in a way that the Holy Spirit was anointing it and making it something so powerful that when, when people saw this artwork in the temple or in the tabernacle at that time, that they would recognize something of the presence of God. The Spirit of God came upon Gideon, enabled him to lead. The Spirit of God came upon Samson and gave him incredible power. The Spirit of God came upon Isaiah and gave him the ability to love people and to comfort people. And the Spirit of God came upon David to enable him to write and, and lead worship. And so in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on people to empower them to accomplish certain things for a certain period of time. But in the New Testament, there is a different thing that happens. The Spirit not only comes on us at times, but when you receive Christ, the Spirit comes in you. He comes into you. And what we want to be is actually filled with the Spirit. He is in us, and we are in Him. In um, John 7, 37 to 39, Jesus said this. This, this is a feast that they ended with uh, carrying a pitcher, of gold, a, gold, a pitcher of gold filled with water to the temple and then pour it out on the temple as an offering to the Lord. But it says this, on the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, you realize this is probably while the water procession is taking place. At any rate, it's the same day, and everybody knows what happens that day. They bring the water, and they pour it out in, in the temple as an offering. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You see, it didn't come until, it wasn't until uh, later that the Holy Spirit comes not only on them, but actually resides in them. And we see that as the promise of the Father and Jesus reiterating this incredible promise. But notice that he says, if anyone who is thirsty, 
He says, those who believe in me and are thirsty can have the Holy Spirit flowing through them. Not just in them, but flowing through them to bless not only their lives, but other people's lives. In the New Testament, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit teaches, guides, empowers. He gives gifts for service. He produces godly character. He fills us with joy and peace. And, and I think maybe most significantly, he pours out the love of God the Father on us. This is a verse that won't be up on the screen, but Romans 5, 5 says this. It says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Listen to that. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. And so the Holy Spirit who is given to us, he, he, just, he, he causes the love of the Father to fill our hearts. So that not only can we experience the love of God, but we can experience the love of God in, in the same way Jesus did by loving others. So we experience his love, and this outpouring of the Holy Spirit into our hearts, uh, this outpouring of love enables us to love other people the way Jesus himself loved them. And th this is a profound thing. This is what the world needs. This is what the world needs. It's people who love like Jesus loved. People who love like Jesus loved. And this is how we do it. So do you want to experience the love of the Father more deeply? Do you want to love other people more fully? I think the answer would be yes for anyone that really has come to know Jesus. And maybe some people that haven't yet would say, yes, I want both of those things as well. And if you do, then you first you just put your faith in Jesus, and then you get the whole package through Jesus. It's interesting. We get to love like Jesus, and Jesus himself compared the Holy Spirit to Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit is compared to Jesus in John 14, verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> Jesus said this. He said, I will ask the Father. And he's, all, he's just said, I'm going away. You're sad. You're heartbroken. Don't worry. It's going to be good for you that I go away because the Spirit's going to come. But he said here, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or comforter to help you and be with you forever. Remember in the Old Testament, it was more of a temporary thing. He says, now the Holy Spirit's gonna come. He's gonna be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And he says, the world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. See, that's the, that's the Old Testament. Holy Spirit was with them, that he was on them. And then Jesus says, and he will be in you. It's a different thing. He will be in you. I remember a time I led a guy to the Lord. He came into my office, and, uh, and, and he was just hung. He, he was ready. His heart was just ready. And I shared the gospel with him, and he, pray, he prayed. He opened his heart to Jesus. And it was pretty dramatic, just him praying to, to, for Jesus to come into his life. But then I laid hands on him immediately, and I just said, Holy Spirit, fill him right now. Empower him. Come on him. Rest on him. And he started shaking. 
and bouncing in the chair he was in, and literally snots coming out of his nose. And, and he's just repeating over and over again. He's saying, he's in me. He's in me. I can feel him. He came into me. He's in me. This is a far more profound thing than, than, than we give credit to it. I mean, typical evangelical theology is you get the Holy Spirit, sure you do, and by faith he's there and you believe he's there, but it's so far from actual experience that we, we miss the import of experience in relationship. Experience is part of relationship. It is. I mean, like some people will teach and they will say, well, the highest type of faith is faith that has no experience. That's the highest type of love. If I love God, even though I don't experience anything, that's a higher level of love. How many guys here are married, you know, or you were married at one time? Try that with your wife. <laughs> Honey, I'm going to love you in the highest form. I'm not going to smile at you anymore. I'm not going to touch you. I'm never going to kiss you again because my love for you is pure. It doesn't need to be experiential love. It's just a pure, I mean, how ridiculous. Listen, any relationship involves experience. In the marriage relationship, God gave us the ultimate experience of sexual union, which is the utmost but he also gave us the experience of walking together and talking and, and sitting on a park bench and, and talking. And, and so with, with God, it's the same thing. We have these roller coaster high moment experiences with him, but we also have the moments when we're just walking through the park talking with him or these moments where we're just sitting with a cup of coffee in our Bible, communing with God in the morning. And both are an essential part of the relationship that we need to have with God and the relationship he wants to have with us. But if you look at that verse, advocate, the word me is, is a Greek word, paraclete. Para means beside, and clete is from the word kaleo, which means to call. And so a paraclete is someone who is called alongside, either, either to hold you up, that would be encourage or to, uh, to act as an advocate on your behalf, to be a counselor or to bring comfort, a helper. Sometimes he's called, this word is translated as helper. But th th this one, he is called alongside us to help. First of all, that means that that's what God the Father has given him to do. And the Holy Spirit is so humble, he's deity, he's God, I mean, in, in Matthew 28, it's baptized them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If he wasn't God, then that would be one of the most uh, blasphemous statements you could, you could make. He is God. He is equal to the Father and the Son. But when, when, when in, in his humility, the Father says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be behind the scenes. You're going to glorify Jesus. And, and yet, you're also going to be right there with believers, comforting them, strengthening them, helping them. I'm giving you that. That's my call to you. But I believe this also opens up the reality of the potential for you, you and for me, when we are in need, to just say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, you're the one who is called alongside to help. I know you're here. 
because you're, you're, you're in me and you're not going to leave. I'm asking you to reveal your presence right now because I need you. Show me you're here because I need you. And so he is the advocate that we can call upon. And notice it is forever. It's forever. It's a permanent thing now. And then this, this word, another, he'll give you another comforter. That's a very significant thing because there are different Greek words that mean another. One of them can mean another, but not really similar. For instance, if we're talking about modes of travel, I could say to you, oh, you need to, you need to go to the next town. Well, okay, you can borrow the Maserati. It's right out there in the parking lot. But out back, we also have a mule. And they're both forms of transportation. So you have the Maserati, and then you have another form of transportation, the mule. But they're not alike. They are not alike. This word would mean, hey, you can go out in the driveway there. There's a Chevy there, and there's a Ford there. Take your pick, either one. They're, two diff- they're different, but they are pretty much alike. And so when he says he'll give you another comforter, he's saying another comforter just like me. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. And so anyone who has any apprehension or fear of the Holy Spirit should just dispel that by thinking, you know, am I afraid of Jesus? Hallelujah. Not afraid of Jesus. Why would I be afraid of the Holy Spirit? Because he's just like Jesus. And he's going to minister in my life the things Jesus wants him to bring into my life. And so this blessing, this experience of the Holy Spirit where we know he's in us and he's on us is something that every believer, uh, every believer has access to. And all of us should desire and long for. But just to reiterate this, it's not just for the elite or the special or the, the, those who are, who are the most pure. It's for any who receive Jesus. You know, John 1, 12, Jesus said, whoever receives me, or John wrote this of Jesus, whoever, th- those who received him received authority to be children of God. Authority. So, You have authority, which means you have access to everything it means to be a child of God. And the promise of the Father says that the Holy Spirit being on us and in us is part of the inheritance of a child of God. So as a believer, you have access. Jesus himself said, if anyone thirsts, just thirst for me, thirst for the Holy Spirit, and, and you'll have rivers of living water flow through you and out of you. So it's being a believer. It's, you, you have the right. Thirsting is the one thing that we bring to it. And then asking. We ask. And so we receive, we thirst, and we ask. And I want to say this. Filling rarely happens imperceptibly. It's rare that it just happens and you just don't know that it happened. Normally, something happens. In the Old Testament, the priests couldn't stand when the presence of God filled the temple. And, uh, and they, f- they fell to the ground. In Acts 2, they, when the Holy Spirit came on them, they all spilled out into the street. And they're praising God in languages they didn't know. But they're also acting kind of like they're drunk. 
And so the people around saw them walking and saw their mannerisms and what they were doing, and they concluded that they're drunk. You see, something happens to our bodies. Uh, our, our bodies aren't yet ready to go into the full presence of God because while we are new, our bodies have not yet been glorified. And that's a whole other teaching. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, my body reacts. And the priest's bodies in the Old Testament reacted by their muscles going weak, their knees going limp and weak, and they fall to the ground. We've seen, I've seen people react by shaking. Sometimes people's eyelids will just flutter faster than you can, you can possibly do intentionally. Uh, other things will happen. People will just breathe deeply or uh, they'll, they'll get real hot and warm. Just a number of different types of manifestations uh, can happen. Nicky Gumbel tells a story in Alpha where he's praying for this guy to receive the Holy Spirit, and he says, well, do you feel anything? Because he wants to see, is he really experiencing God's Spirit? And, and the guy said, no, I don't feel anything. And so Nicky said, well, raise your hands. And he said, I can't. And Nicky said, why not? And he said, because I can't feel anything. See, in that case, he was just, his body was just kind of like non-responsive to him even. And so it's rare that it's imperceptible, but, um, but it will also be the way of Jesus. Okay, it's the way of Jesus is the typical thing that happens. My first experience when I came to believe the Holy Spirit was still moving and touching people's lives, my first experience was walking at night and, uh, and I was doing a lot of walking at night and praying, and I'm walking and praying, and, and I just, something just happened for about 30 seconds, maybe a minute, but I, God was there. It, it, now, it didn't keep me from walking, it didn't, I, I didn't fall to the ground or anything, but I, God was there, and I just said, Lord, I want more of that. And God spoke to me and said, you're not quite ready for more yet. More's coming. And so that's, when I say that, I say the Holy Spirit is like Jesus. Now, sometimes he does just overwhelm people and knock them down, and, and, and they lie there on the ground flopping around. And if that happens, then that's because he's God, and he knows what that person needs. But it's, it's almost always a perceptible thing. Now, to, to prepare for next week, I have a few thoughts for you. First one is this. Choose to repent of the fear of deception. Okay, choose to repent of the fear of deception. There is so much teaching out there that says if you open yourself up to experience, you're just as likely to have a demon come as to have God come. As if you're going you're gonna to say, Holy Spirit, come. Father God, my good Father in heaven. Give me more of the Holy Spirit as, as you've promised. And that somehow a demon's going to jump in the way and crowd the Holy Spirit out, elbow him out of line, and, and you're, you're going you're gonna to encounter this demonic force. Now, there's some fears that are okay. Fear of rattlesnakes and black widow spiders, I think, is okay. <laughs> other than that, there's not a whole lot of other fear that's helpful, especially when it comes to God. Fearing what God will do in your life is not a good thing. It's not. And it is the fear that experience is, leads to something 
other than what we want. And, and yet relationships, as I've already shared, are inherently spiritual. They are experiential. They have to be experiential. Now, this fear of being deceived was so great in my life when I, I changed my theology to believe that the Holy Spirit was working today and was touching and filling people and all the gifts were alive, but I was still really afraid of, of some demon deceiving me. And here's what I would do. I would pray, when I, I'd start my prayers off like this, I would say, the God I'm praying to is the God of creation. The God who has existed as a triune being for all eternity, he created the heavens and the earth, he chose Abraham, he chose Israel, he sent his son Jesus to be born into the nation of Israel through a virgin named Mary in Bethlehem. Jesus ministered in Galilee, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended back to the Father. That's the God I'm talking to right now. I, I was so overcome with this fear that if I just say God, some demon's going to take advantage of me. And so I'm sharing this with, a, with the very first vineyard pastor I ever met. And he looked at me and he said this. He said, you know, he said, you have more confidence in Satan's ability to deceive you than you do in God's ability to protect you and bless you. I thought, wow. And he quoted the verse to me from Luke 11 where Jesus said, if you being evil, meaning we're fallen fathers and, and parents, fallen yet we still love our kids. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the, your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I'm not seeking experience just for experience, but I want to tell you, if God wants me to have an experience so I know him better because relationships are inherently spirit, relationships are inherently experiential, then I'm all for it, and I want whatever experience he wants to give me. Now, the second thing is this, decide to open your heart to the, decide to open your heart to the fullness of the spirit. And by that, I think the biggest hindrance here is pride. I could have said this, decide to repent of pride. Because pride shows up in the sense of, I don't want to admit weakness. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't like to admit weakness. I don't like to say, well, I can't, I can't. Uh, that wasn't an issue for me. I, I'd come to the point that it was easy for me to admit weakness and my need for the Holy Spirit. But for a lot of people, that's an issue. Here's what my problem was, the pride of not wanting to look foolish. The pride of not wanting to shake, not wanting to fall down. I mean, what if? What if God makes me shake and I fall down on the ground and everybody sees it? They're going to think I'm crazy. There was a thing I had read about in those early days uh, called pogoing, and crazy, it's still crazy, but uh, the, the Holy Spirit would come on people and they would just start bouncing, bouncing up and down, bounce, 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 bounce. I mean, we see that sometimes in worship, but most of the times that's just somebody who's excited and wants to worship God and they're jumping up and down. But this was, no, the Holy Spirit comes on them and makes them bounce. That's what I was read anyway. And at the time, we were still pastoring this incredibly conservative church. Just to show you how conservative, one Sunday night, it was like 100 degrees outside, no air conditioning in this building, sweats profusely dripping off me, 
And when I stood up to preach, I took my jacket off and put it aside. And you would, I mean, I had to sit down, I had to have a meeting with the head elder about that. So that just tells you the kind of culture it was. But then, but then I, just, I just had to come to this. I had to say, well, wait a second. I'm not, I'm not after an experience. I'm after God. And, and really, relationship is inherently spiritual, experiential. So there's going to be some form of experience with that. But I want God. And I had to pray and say, God, if you want me to bounce around this conservative church like Tigger, you know, <laughs> boing, boing, boing. If that's how I'll get to know you better, then that's fine with me. Do whatever you want to do. So we, we need to give up the, the, the pride of thinking that, that we're worrying about looking silly or foolish. David didn't seem to have that problem. He danced. Remember when David danced before the Lord? And he didn't dance like this, you know, like, a, like a guy dance. He didn't just dance like that. It was, I mean, it was raucous dancing, wild dancing. I wouldn't even be, I'd try to show it to you, but I'd probably fall off the stage and get hurt. I wouldn't worry about falling off the stage and looking silly, of course, but I don't want to get hurt. Okay, the third thing is this, affirm your confidence in this promise. Um, Lord, I believe you. God, I believe you. I believe that your word is true, and I want it. I want, I, wa I want to be thirsty. Just tell them I want to thirst for more of the Holy Spirit. Tell them that every day this week. Fourth point is this. Ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You know, some people will sit back and say, well, if God wants to heal me, he can heal me sitting right back here in the back of the church. Or if God wants to fill me with his spirit, he can do it without my involvement. And he can. Normally when that happens, it's almost like a, a kind of a, almost like a kind of a judgment type of a thing on, on someone to kind of like shake them out of their pride. But he can do that. But he says to ask. He tells us to ask. So why am I going to sit back and not ask? I'm going to ask because that's what he tells me to do. So ask him to fill you and ask him this week. Develop expectation by asking him. And here's maybe the most significant thing to prepare. This week, respond to every small touch of the spirit that you experience. Every small touch, no matter how small. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, be careful how you listen. In other words, be attentive for whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. That means that whatever little bit God gives me, if I honor that, and I cherish that, and I value that, I will get more. And so what I mean by this is, let's say you're driving down the street, and you sense God's touching you. You just sense his presence pull off the road, find a parking lot, turn your car off, and just say, God, here I am. Here I am. One time when we were first coming into this, I was driving to Flint, Michigan, from our town in Owasso, and about a third of the way there, I felt the Holy Spirit start to come on me. So I turned around and drove back to my office and went into my little prayer closet and just said, God, here I am. If you want to do something in me, I don't want to ignore it. I want it. I want more. So if you are in, uh, if you're watching TV, that's easy. Turn the TV off 
and say, God, here I am. If you're in a meeting, if it's a church meeting, you might have the, you might have the freedom to say, hey, I think the Holy Spirit wants to do something right now. Let's stop talking and just open up to him. If you're in a business meeting uh, in some business, then, hey, sorry, can we take a break? I need to go to the bathroom. And you know, bathrooms have these little cubicles, little hiding places in them. <laughs> just go into one of those and just say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. What are you doing? What do you want to do? But every small touch of the Spirit, you respond to. And he will, he will do more and more and more in your life. And, and Wilson talked about fasting last week. That's a good thing to do. Fast and pray because what that will do is sharpen your spiritual perception. It doesn't earn you. It's not like, well, he fasted for three days. He gets more of the Holy Spirit than this guy who only fasted for one day. It's not that at all. It is it sharpens your spiritual perception so you can sense when God's touching you and, and when he's moving on you. So would you stand with me right now, please? And prayer team, will you make your way down to the front? Just hold your hands out right now. And what I'm gonna do is ask the prayer team to be over on this side over here, okay? Because I, I want anybody who just wants a like a prelude to next week. You just want a, a, a little greater sensitivity to the Spirit. Come over here and just kind of like gather right here as a group. And a few of us will go through and lay hands on you and pray for you. But uh, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. We welcome you here. We ask, create expectation within us. We look forward, Lord, to celebrating Pentecost Sunday and what you're going to do here in each one of our lives as we do that. But this week, Lord, touch our lives. Remind us of these words. Remind us to stop and to focus on you when you do. In Jesus' name, amen.